All right. Well, I have the uh, wonderful privilege to introduce to you, what's your middle name? Pete Francis Wilmot. show of hands, how many know the artist? Jason, I don't think you know the artist. You've got it wrong three times so far. (laughs) Does anybody know the artist? Because I want to give you some cash incentive. Is that going to help you? Do you know Rich? Manhattan Transfer. Yeah, cash incentive. Yeah, today is going to be your personal payday. And by that, I mean the candy bar, not the actual cash itself. There we go. Yes, that's uh, Operator by Manhattan Transfer, Operator, Information Long Distance, Get Me Jesus on the Line. I want to talk to a friend of mine. That's how the words go. And I know this song really, really well because when I was in college during my long 10-year, 10-year tenure at college, this song was pretty popular right there in the middle. And during college, I majored in broadcast communications, among many other things, but that's the only one that I was smart enough to get through, actually. Broadcast communications, and part of that is actually working at a radio station. So I went to work at a very small radio station. And when you work at a very small radio station, your two or three salespeople will come back in after they make a sale, and they will say, I need you to come make a commercial for me. Or I need you to come do a voiceover for me. They'll just grab you and bring you into the studio, and you'll have to record something or come up with something. So I was tapped to do a promotional spot, a public service announcement. I need you to do that. So I said, okay. So I took this song, and I took an existing commercial at the time from the telephone company. And back then, there was only one telephone company. So I took an existing commercial from the telephone company, and they were pushing long distance. And their tagline, or their punchline was, long distance. It's the next best thing to being there. So I took this song and that commercial, and I blended the two together, and my tagline was, prayer, it's the next best thing to being there. And then I followed it up with, this has been a public service announcement from this radio station. That was my commercial. So that's why I know this one so well. But it would be nice, wouldn't it, just to pick up your phone and get Jesus on the line? Wouldn't that be great? You pick up your phone and you dial 53787. 53787. It spells Jesus. That's right. Brilliant. That's right. Look it up. Go ahead. I know you want to look. It spells Jesus. If you look on your phone, that spells Jesus. But wouldn't that be great? Just to dial 53787 and get Jesus on the line. That'd be awesome. Anybody could have used that this week at all? Maybe. uh, Yeah, yeah, me too. Yep, I know what you're talking about. 
But it doesn't work that way, does it? You can't just get Jesus on the line. So what do we got? All we have, all we got is prayer. That's it. We've tried everything else. Nothing else has worked. So all we can do is pray. And how do we pray? Well, we pray like this. Here, join me in this prayer, will you? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that your presence is here, Lord. I ask that our hearts are open to hearing what you have to say to us. And I give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen. Yeah, we, you know why we pray like that? Because that's a safe prayer. We like those prayers. That's safe. Because nobody's going to come up to me afterwards and say, I don't think everybody's heart was open. I really don't think that happened. No, I really feel they were. So that's a safe prayer. But you wheel a guy up in a wheelchair who's never walked in his entire life. And how do we pray for that guy? Lord, give him strength. Lord, give him your peace. Lord, surround that man with your hedge of protection. Lord, give him a double portion today of your blessings. Amen. Because that's safe. How many of us are going to grab that guy by the hand and say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk? We don't want to do that. Because that's risky. Because what happens if he doesn't? Or maybe worse yet, what happens if he does? That would really freak me out. So we don't do it. It's too risky. We stay with a safe prayer. It's much, much easier to stay with a safe prayer. But it would be great to just get Jesus on the line. Because i got to be honest with you, this whole prayer thing, I don't really get it. I don't get it. I mean, I pray, but i got to be honest, I don't understand it all. It's hard for me. I'd much rather dial 53787 and get Jesus on the line. I'd much rather say to him, please, I need your help. So because we don't get it, what happens then? We don't get it, so we don't pray. We just don't do it. I'd like to tell you I pray every day for four hours. But the truth is, I don't. And part of that is, I'm busy. Part of that is, there's other things. Part of that is, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's too risky. It doesn't work. Or I pray for something and I get the exact opposite answer. Has that ever happened to you? Or you pray for it, and not only don't you get the exact opposite answer, you don't get any answer at all. You pray, but you're wondering, is anybody even up there? Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me. But whether he gets it or not, James talks a lot about prayer. An awful lot about prayer. And as we close our study on the book of James today, he concludes with this whole notion of prayer once again. He's talking about prayer again. So let's see what he has to say. Maybe we can figure it out. So open your Bible to the book of James. We're in chapter 5. We're starting in verse 13. And this is what it says. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So underline the word suffering. The Message Bible uses the word hurting. And other translations use words like afflicted, or suffering evil, or trouble, or hardships. The actual Greek word is really a combination of two words. Part of that word means pain. 
And part of that word means to endure something for a long period of time. It's talking about hardship over a long period of time. Now remember that this letter that James is writing, and that's really what it is, it's a letter. He's writing this letter to really no specific one church. He's not writing it to one group of people. He's writing this very broad letter. And that's why James, as much as I told you it wasn't my favorite book in the Bible, has moved up the ladder. Because really, it, it talks to all of us, even today. It's a very broad letter, but it speaks to all of us. But at the time when he was writing to all these Christians, remember what they were suffering and what they were going through. Their king, their savior, their, their, their guy that was coming to, to get rid of the Romans and save us all from all this terrible hardship has been crucified and he's dead. And now I, as an early Christian, am being asked to believe in this guy who's been crucified. And I'm being asked to believe that he's risen from the dead. And I'm suffering hardship from the outside, from people that have gone away from the faith. So it's hard. So James is saying to them, are you suffering right now? Are you going through this difficult time? And he's saying to them, then you must pray. And it says in the text right there, let him pray. But it really means, but, he, but you must pray. Some of your Bibles will say, let him pray. But it really means you must pray. You've got to pray. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't give it to us as an option. We give it to other people as an option. Are oh, you going through a tough time? Well, maybe you want to think about praying. You might want to give it a shot. But James doesn't approach it that way. He says, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. You must pray. And the phrase, let him pray, or you must pray, literally means to interact with God. To move from our wishes, our wants, our desires, to his plans. And as we do that, to ask him to give us faith. That's really what he's talking about here. Pray, even when we don't get it. Even when we don't understand it. And what about the opposite? Are you not suffering? Are you cheerful? Is everything going great? Awesome. Then James says, then sing psalms. Sing praises. That's what James says. And those songs and those psalms, those are prayers too. Prayers just not when we're in trouble. This whole worship that we did this morning, that's a prayer to God. We're singing praises to God. That's what we're doing. This is what Psalm 147 says. It says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. Jewish tradition says that angels are constantly singing praises to God. Heaven is a noisy place. We're constantly singing to God. We should do the same. Verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Underline the word sick. Here's what it means. It means to be weak. Either physically weak, because we're sick, sick as we understand it, or morally weak, as in we've drifted away. We've drifted off that path from God, and we all do it from time to time. Jesus tells us in Matthew that the gate to life is a difficult one to find, and the path to life is a narrow one. And because of that, it's easy to drift off of it. It's a narrow path, and not very many people find it, and none of us can stay on it all the time. So when that happens, call for the elders to pray over you. Call for the elders of the church. Call for your church family. 
Ask people to pray with you. James is telling us to pick up the phone and call. And the elders of the church, what are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to pray over you. They're supposed to anoint you with oil, and they're supposed to do all of this in the name of the Lord. Note, will you, the dual responsibility. You're responsible to call somebody. Don't just sit there in your misery and suffering. You're responsible to call somebody. You're responsible to say, I need help. I'm going through a tough time. And the responsibility of the other members of the church is to pray over you and pray with you and support you in that prayer. Verse 15, And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Faith. That word always jumps out at me. A prayer of faith. A prayer of faith that will save the sick. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Why didn't God answer your prayer? Well, you didn't have enough faith. You ever heard that? Why did that child die? Well, those parents, they didn't have enough faith. Really? Is that what James is saying here? That's not what he's saying here. That's what he seems to be saying. But he says, a prayer of faith will save the sick. So we try, don't we? We pray harder. We pray longer. We pray more often. And we get no results or we get bad results. So what is faith? Well, Paul defines it when he writes to the church in Rome. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But when it comes to faith in Jesus, we probably have a mixed bag in this room, don't we? We probably have people that are on fire all the time, 100%, never wavering. I would love to say I'm one of those people, but I'm not. I'm pretty positive, but I'm not. Sometimes it's tough. And then we've got people on the opposite end of the scale, don't we? People that have just almost given up. That's the way it goes. It's a mixed bag. Some days we're left wondering if God is even there. How did he get us into this mess? Or why am I in this mess? Or why did these people come into my life? But wherever you are, know this. That God does not waver. He is always faithful, even when we are faithless. If you look at the miracles that Jesus performed, faith seems to be kind of a common key. Jesus healed a woman that believed just by touching the the, the edge of his garment that she would be made well. And Jesus responded to her and he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then right next to him was Jairus, whose daughter was dying. And Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe and she'll be healed. And earlier in the story, we see the guy that was a paralytic being let down through the roof. And Jesus marveled at the faith of his friends. And he was healed. So faith is very important as Christians, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And James even tells us we must believe and not doubt. He tells us that anybody who's double-minded, the person who prays without faith, shall not get what he receive, asks from, from the Lord. But this is how John wraps up his chapter. He says, Therefore many other signs of Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, the ones we just talked about have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Our problem is that we pray for what we want. 
Our faith is not in who we pray to. It's in what we pray about. We've got to remember that we're praying to Jesus. That's where our faith has to be. Is his word really true? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? That's the faith we need to have. That's the faith that will make you well. That's the faith that will make you whole. We are not called to believe that prayer alone will ever produce the results that we want, the answer we think we need. We are called to believe that God hears our prayers and responds to his children just like any loving father would respond to his children. This is what Jesus said, and this is from the Message Bible, and I I love the way they put it. Jesus said, don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide-and-seek game we're in. If your little boy asks you for a serving of fish, do you give him a live snake on the plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of doing such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask Him? Holy Spirit. Hold on to that faith thing. Verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, this is a family. This is a church family. LifeSpring is a family. Get connected so that you can go to other people with your struggles and with your hardships and ask them to lift you up in prayer. And you don't have to be specific. You can just say, I'm struggling. I need help. We are called to confess to one another, to acknowledge, to be open to one another. Me to you and you to me. On Thursday night, we had, a, we had a man step forward and he wanted to speak to all of us. And that was really his heart. He said, here's my phone number. Here's my email address. If you want to talk, I'm available to you. He wanted to talk to us man to man. He said, I'm here for you. Because we love as men to put on these masks and put on these faces and say everything's great and how about those mariners? But it's tough. How about those mariners, by the way? (laughs) And the second part of the verse says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. These are powerful prayers, James says. If you're a righteous man, these are powerful prayers. Righteous. But wait a second. Righteous. I'm not sure I'm really righteous. What's that word mean? Let me look up that word. Go through this checklist with me, will you? See if, see if you meet all these characteristics. And then if you do, then your prayers are righteous. And then you can, okay. You'll have powerful prayers if you meet all these this list here. Are you upright? Are you virtuous? Are you keeping the commands of God? Okay, I'm out. Are you someone whose way of thinking, acting, and feeling is wholly conformed to the will of God and someone who needs no change in their heart or their life? I'm out. Anyone else still in? This is like the NCAA bracket. I was out pretty early. (laughs) 
Not me. See, I don't qualify. See, so my prayers, therefore, don't accomplish much, apparently, because I'm not righteous. But wait, I remember reading this in the Bible, too. This is what it says, Second Corinthians. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's another one from Romans. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So we are made righteous through the blood of Christ. And the prayers we now offer up are powerful and effective. We may not think that, but that's what God's Word says. They're powerful and effective because we're made righteous through Christ. And we now have this promise in God that much will be accomplished. And James gives us an example of this. He doesn't tell a story because, you know, James, he doesn't like stories. But he points us to this account of this story. This is from the book of 1 Kings. And it's from chapters 17 and 18. And this is how James summarizes two whole chapters from 1 Kings. This is what he says. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. That's two chapters. That's how he summarized it. See, I told you he wasn't a very good storyteller. So let me help him out a little bit. So Elijah was a man just like us. Okay? He wasn't a priest, as many of the prophets were. He was just like you and me. He was just an ordinary person. No different. But he was a man who sought God. And he had a heart like God. And he saw the wickedness of the people and the wickedness of the world around him. So he prayed that there would be no rain. Now think about this prayer. He's praying for a drought. Because he wants to wake people up. But his prayer is going to affect him as well. He's not going anywhere. He's still in the neighborhood. If I pray for a drought and no food, guess what? I'm part of the mix. These are farmers who can't plant crops now because there's no water. They can't grow crops or produce crops or do anything like that. They can't feed their animals because there's no water. But this is what he prayed. See how his prayers line up with what God wants versus our prayers, which is gimme, 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 gimme. Or maybe it's just me. I want, I want, I want, I want. God, can I have, can I have this? Look at what he does. Look at the way he's praying. So he prays that there's no rain, and guess what? There's no rain. And if you keep reading through 1 Kings and 1 Kings 17 and 18, this is what you find. You find that God provides over and over and over again to Elijah. First, he says, Elijah, there's no rain, so I want you to go up by this tree, up by this brook. So he goes up there, and God provides food and bread and meat for him. And he's got the water by the brook. And then the brook dries up. So God says to him, I want you to go see this widow, and she's going to provide to you. So he goes to see the widow, but guess what? The widow doesn't have anything. God told me to go there, but this lady has nothing. She's supposed to provide for me. But Elijah keeps believing, and guess what? There's provision. Then what happens? Then the widow's son dies. And the widow says to him, is this how God works? He sends you to me, and my son dies? So Elijah prays again, and Elijah raises the boy back to life. 
Then Elijah goes to see a king, a king who wants to kill him because of this whole drought thing. So he goes to see the king, but God protects. And then Elijah gets into this whole thing with the people that believe in somebody other than God. And he asks for God's provision. And he asks for God to show himself. And God does. And then Elijah prays for rain. And there is rain. And the word says, and then the earth produced its fruit. The Bible describes the rain as a very heavy shower. Three and a half years, he prayed for no rain. Three and a half years later, he prays for rain and there's rain. And he was no different than you and me. That's what James said. That's what I'm giving you today. He was no different than you and me. And look at the power of his prayer. Verse 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So in the closing part of his letter, James uses a phrase that he used at the very beginning of his letter. Brothers and sisters, we're family. Brothers and sisters, I'm writing to you. It's a term of affection and endearment. He speaks of those who have wandered away from the truth. And the reality of calling them back and praying for them to come back. Let anyone know, let everyone know, James says, that there's no more, more, more worthy work or effort that we can do than calling somebody to the Lord. Why are we sending people to Ghana? To tell them that Jesus loves them. To call them to the Lord and call some of them back to the Lord. There's no more worthy calling than that. And we all know someone, right? We all know people that have wandered away. Sons and daughters, friends, relatives. We all know somebody. Here's a great story from Bill Hybels. He tells this great story, this experience after a baptism service in their church. He says, I bumped into a woman in the stairwell who was crying. I thought she was, that was a little odd since the service was so joyful. I asked her if she was all right, and she said, no, I'm struggling. She said, my mom was baptized today. I prayed for her every day for almost 20 years. The reason I'm crying is because I came this close to giving up on her. At the five-year mark, I said, who needs this? God isn't listening. At the 10-year mark, I said, why am I wasting my breath? At the 15-year mark, I said, this is absurd. At the 19-year mark, I said, I'm just a fool. But I kept trying. I kept praying. Even with weak faith, I kept praying. Then she gave her life to Christ and she was baptized today. She said, I will never doubt the power of prayer again. We all know someone, right? Let's make it a point this week to pray for that person. Every day this week, pray for that person. Just one week. This lady prayed for almost 20 years. One week. Because your prayers are powerful. And they're effective. And that's what God's Word says. Pray this week, one week, seven days, for that one person. And you know who they are, because they leapt to your mind immediately. You know exactly who I'm talking about. So I'd like to leave you today with some truths about today's passage, and these are on your handout. And this is the first one. The first one is life can be hard. Life can be hard. 
And maybe that's not the right word for you. Maybe you want to put your own word in there. So there's a little space below that where it says life blank. You get to fill that in, and this is just for you. Life blank. Maybe you want to put life sucks. Life is a burden. Life is difficult. Life is tiring. Maybe you want to put life sometimes doesn't even seem like it's worth it. But that's for you. That's your definition of life. Now, if life is great for you right now, I am happy for you. I think that's awesome. That's great. I hope it's always awesome for you. And I would never stand up here and want to tell you as a Christian, life should always be burdensome and hard and terrible, and you should be miserable. I would never tell you that. I don't even think it should be hard and miserable all the time. But sometimes, life can be hard. Or life can be whatever it is you wrote down. Sometimes life is just difficult. Just write it down. And it's for you. You don't have to share it with anyone. But I want you to know something. The Bible doesn't hide this fact from us. The Bible is very clear about this. Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus was being honest with us. And look at the book of James. I went back through the book of James. Look at all that it tells us about these truths. This is so incredible that he just he doesn't hide this fact from us. We learn in the book of James that there are trials of many kind, that we lack wisdom, that there are temptations, that there is lust, that we sin, that there's death. That's chapter 1. We learn there are poor among us, that we live in a world of oppression, adultery, murder. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3 and 4, we find that we are of a nature that we want to serve more than one master. We often speak out of turn. We're unable to control the words that come out of our own mouths. Anybody, anybody, anybody? Uh, there's war. There's fighting in this world. And there's fighting amongst each other, you and me. We lust, we kill, we want but we don't have. We're pursued by the devil. We'd rather be friends with this world than friends with God. We mourn, we weep, we're afflicted. And chapter 5 tells us, among other things, that all those things we work so hard for, the gold and the silver, if you will, they all end up worthless. Life can be hard, and there's no magic phone number, is there, that we can call to get Jesus on the line. It takes faith to turn back to God's Word. So here's fill-in number one for you. Life can be hard. Make the call. Make the call. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't even know what to say. It's okay. This is the first phone call you'll ever make where nobody's going to hang up on you. No, you call me and I say hello twice, I'm hanging up. You call Jesus and say nothing? He's going to say, that's okay. I'll stay on the line as long as you need me. The first phone call, nobody's ever going to hang up on you. Make the call. Are you sick? Are you sad? Are you suffering? Are you rejoicing? Make the call. Make the call. On the top of my prayer list, I have this verse from Proverbs 15.29. It says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears you. Make the call. You are righteous through Christ. Make the call. Why did James use this example of Elijah? He said Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. In other words, Elijah had the same emotions, the same feelings, the same struggling 
that we go through. He wasn't any different. And why this story, of all the stories in the Bible that he could have used about praying and God answering prayer, why this story? Here's what you need to understand, that back in those days with farming and the water being so important, being able to pray for rain was on the same miracle equivalent scale as raising somebody from the dead. That's how powerful this was to those people back then. That's why he used Elijah. And that's why he told you and me that we're no different from Elijah. We're the same. We may not understand it all. We want it, may want it more quickly than God's going to provide it. But we're no different from Elijah. If you read 1 Kings 18 very carefully, you'll say that Elijah had to pray seven times for it to rain again. He had to pray seven times. Did it rain? No. Did it rain? No. Did it rain? He kept praying. And when he finally got an answer, what kind of answer did he get? A tiny little cloud on the horizon. That's all he got. But then it poured. He kept praying. He felt the agony that you and I feel. Make the call. Jesus, even though he was sinless, took our brokenness upon himself. And he walked the world just like we did. He shed real blood. And he died a real death. He understands. So make the call. Point number two, life can be hard. Make the conference call. James tells us to confess our sins to one another. James tells us to pray for one another. We're family. Look at what happened in Acts 12. Peter was in prison. He was scheduled to be executed. He was bound in chains between two guards. He was in a locked cell. Outside of that door was another guard. Outside of the next door was another guard. And outside of that was a big iron gate. But what was happening back at Mary's house? They were praying. They were praying together. Many were gathered, it says, and praying together for Peter. Life was hard, but the disciples were on a conference call. The result, an angel comes for Peter, the chains fall off, and he walks out. Life can be hard, make the conference call. And the last one is this, life can be hard, but it's a clear connection. It's a clear connection. James tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And yet we don't pray because, well, is anyone up there even listening? I want to close out today with one last incredible truth from God's Word. And let me call the worship team back up as I close with this. This is from Revelations 8, verses 1 to 4. And this is what it says. It says, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given him. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Silence in heaven. Heaven, in case you don't know it, is a very noisy place. Read the book of Revelations. There's praying, there's singing, there are shouts to the Lord. It's a very noisy place. And yet we learn right here that when you pray, all of heaven falls silent for your prayer. You are heard. Psalm 56, 8 says to God, You've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger, every ache written in your book. 
you need prayer today, I want you to know that you're not alone. That we want to pray with you as a family. We want to come together with you as a family. Because our prayers are heard as individuals and as a family. Let's not let this day go by. If you need prayer after service, please come up. There's many people that would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you you do hear us, Father God. We may not get this whole prayer thing, Lord. We may not understand it all. We may be we may be new at all of this, or we may have been doing it a long time and we still don't get it. But we know today from your word that you hear us. We know from today that we're not alone. We know from today, Father God, that you will never, never, never fail us or forsake us, Father God. So hear our cries, Lord. Lord, as we come together after service to pray, to lift up our needs and our wants and our hurts and our heartache, Father God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Amen.